Well, another day, another banking crisis. This time it's Credit Suisse, somewhat bigger than a US regional bank, and a day out from the ECB. So we have seen massive falls in shares, in oil prices, in bond yields. So what's happening? Is there any systemic problem here? And what happens next? It's Thursday, the 16th of March, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, European shares, a disaster this morning. The Euro stocks 50 down 3.5%. The FTSE 100 down 3.8%. Credit Suisse shares down 30% at one stage, closing over 20% down. They're low today, less than a quarter of their 52-week high. That gives you an idea of the magnitude of the concerns over there. Shares not quite as bad in the US, but still bad with the VIX. The volatility index almost up to 30 at one point. US shares have pared back some of their losses, though. But still, the Dow down 1% at Closed. The S&P 500 has lost 0.8%, paying back losses double that earlier in the session. The Nasdaq flicking into the green only in the last second before the market closes. Uh, generally, financials down over 3% in the US, but energy is the biggest fall. Uh, shares there down 6%, with oil showing massive falls overnight. WTI was down almost 7% at one stage, at its lowest level since 2021, down a mere 4% now. And Brent, well, that was down 6.5%, not quite uh, dipping below its 52-week low. Now it is just half that, down uh, 3.6% down. And bond yields have come crashing down again as well. Well, although they did pick up a little, but even so, still 21 basis points off 10-year treasuries, down 29 for 10-year bunds. But look at two years. Two-year bunds down 47 basis points. Two-year treasuries down 28, down 36 early on in the session. By comparison, Aussie 10-year bonds saw their yields fall just one basis point yesterday to 3.43%. But that was before everything went haywire. Uh, They're now down to 3.32% on futures, so that's 11 basis points lower. It was a few basis points lower than that earlier on in the night. And a big rise in the US dollar, up 1.1% on the DXY index. And again, it was up more earlier because uh, of a big fall in the euro, which is now down 1.4%. The Aussie dollar is down 1% to just over 66.1 US cents. The pound down 0.9%. The yen, for those playing it safe, up three quarters of a percent, even against the rising US dollar. Uh, It was up 1% earlier. And the Swiss franc, as you might imagine, down 1.7%. So let's try and make sense out of all of this with NAB's Ken Crompton in Sydney. So I've been trying to figure out actually what the problem is here, because there's no suggestion of insolvency of the bank or of, uh, you know, massive falls in asset prices being the root of the problem. We do know they had massive capital outflows uh, last year, around $120 billion pulled out in the last quarter of 2022. But we knew that before. And we also know the Saudi backer, uh, the Saudi National Bank, owning as much as allowed to, almost 10%, uh, saying that there's going to be no new money coming their way. So what is the, I mean, in your mind, what is the cause of this? Is this just a bit of blind panic that we're seeing? Yeah, good morning, Phil. I think there is certainly an element of panic in there. There's a bit of um, sort of unfortunate correlation, I guess, between timing of, of what's of what's been going on at Credit Suisse um, coming you know, around the same time as we're starting to, uh, as we've seen those issues with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and a few others in the US. The, the developments overnight, in particular, as, as you've said, you know, Saudi National Bank, who we're Bought a significant capital injection to Credit Suisse last year, I think. You know, amidst some headlines around, um, you know, sort of, um, sort of governance and, um, and and bookkeeping issues there. Yeah, they've they've said they're absolutely not going to inject anymore. Which I guess you could argue maybe they're saying that as a as a sign of confidence that they don't feel their investment needs shoring up. I mean, also they did cite that there are some regulatory issues if they do start to to tip in more capital and go over that ten percent 
level. I mean, a lot of commentators are you know, sort of stressing that, you know, Credit Suisse, like um, most of the European banks post-crisis, has put a lot of effort into shoring up its capital ratios. So, yeah, arguably, there's no sort of imminent issue there. But coming amidst uh, general broad scrutiny, general t- general turmoil in markets, yeah, adding the sort of some of the well-publicised issues around some sort of hedge fund prime financing type stuff last year, it's sort of a, you know, a perfect storm of, of poor headlines. You know, I guess another indicator as well as the Credit Suisse share price, if you look at the um, credit default swaps, which is the cost to insure um, Credit Suisse debt in a sense, yeah, that's that's been out over 1,100 basis points overnight. And when that was 300, 250 basis points at the start of the month, that was looking an incredibly high number. And I guess the, the, the you know, there's a big fear of contagion from all of this, isn't there? So the ECB, I mean, they helped spread the panic perhaps a little bit by asking other banks in Europe what their exposure was to Credit Suisse. Because, of course, obviously it's a Swiss bank. A lot of their holdings are uh, customers that are outside Switzerland. But we haven't seen any response yet. I mean, the Swiss National Bank, I mean, surely they're going to have to step in, aren't they? Particularly if, uh, you know, if, I mean, if we see a bank run tomorrow, for example, there's going to have to be some sort of response. Possibly. I mean, I think the the card the central banks are playing is trying to walk that fine line between, you know, whether putting an explicit response out there is that seen to verify there is actual problems or are they able to still inspire confidence mm. by saying, yeah, there's um, th- there's not much to see here and the regulatory environment will, will take care of what it needs to. So central banks are trying to... to to define uh, to define the difference there, I guess what we saw in the US was a was sort of a pretty uh, was sort of a pretty sharp response. But in terms of you know ex- uh, implementing this uh, term funding facility and, and a few other facilities out there, but um, yeah, the the structure of the of the problems is is very different. Where the US is trying to shore up confidence in regional bank deposits, whereas obviously the ECB or, or the SMB and the, and the system more globally actually is uh, is dealing with a, a global significant investment. Significant, significant bank as uh, as they're known. So the, the scale is, is very different, and the response mm. is going to be different as well. I mean, for the so. for the banking sector generally, I mean the the fact that we are seeing uh, bond yields uh, uh, rising, the value of those assets falling, and and the squeeze that banks are feeling. I mean, obviously that's a concern, which is creating some you know this well less confidence in the sector, perhaps. Possibly. I mean, you're going to see a different a different type of issue between you know credit credit suisse and some of the US issues, though. I would think um, you know there's been a lot of a, mm. a lot of discussion around how some of these US banks have got a significant amount of uh, sort of hold to maturity valued securities that are that are unhedged, so they're forced to, to realise these losses instantly. I would imagine that uh, under the European regulations, particularly for for global banks, and that's what we've seen for the common trade of the US as yeah. well, is that there there would be sort of more effective derivative hedges in place there, and there's probably a, a lesser amount of them held to maturity. So certainly, you know, the the, the capital value of, of bonds has gone down, but um, but you know, if if they're hedged appropriately, then then that risk can be managed, and there's, there's a good chance that uh, that sort of the more sophisticated banks would be managing that differently to what you've seen out of the US. So it's it's interesting, isn't it, seeing the market response to all of this. So, I mean, there's still this expectation that the ECB is going to raise interest rates uh, later today, uh, tomorrow, European time, um, maybe not by the full 50 basis points that, that was expected. Uh, less of an expectation that the Fed is going to go quite as hard. Uh, and in fact, you know, it looks like the markets are expecting to see more easing in the second half of the year, rates falling perhaps as much as 100 basis points, whereas there's no such expectation for Europe. Yeah, there's been big swings this week, obviously, in the, in the sort of near-term pricing for central banks. I mean, yeah, the ECB tonight, NAB's still got a 50-point hike penciled in, which I guess, um, yeah, that 
that view sort of predates the worst of the of the Credit Suisse volatility, but certainly on the basis of, of, of economic fundamentals and and you know, core sort of HICP inflation figures last month continuing to run a little bit hotter than expected. We think 50 points is, is justified. And the market is still erring just on the side of 50 rather than, uh, rather than the ECB stepping back to 25. And I think one of the reasons for that is obviously the starting point with the ECB still down there at a, um, at a comparatively lower uh, target rate year two point five percent versus um, obviously the, the Fed being up well above four. You know, the the terminal rate the ECB needs to get to, regardless of, um, of of banking system issues, is is still further away. So I think hence why the market's sort of still leaning towards pricing about twenty nine points for for tonight. But um, yeah, but the, the peak rate is still sort of now topping out about three. US, as you said, mm. um, has paired back um, pricing for next week's Fed meeting you know, a fair bit again. That number's been quite volatile, but we're now down to about uh, about 12 basis points. So the market's still sort of definitively tossing up now between zero and and you know, and 25. I think 50 is well off the table uh, in terms of market pricing. But I think also the US data that was out overnight to the extent yeah, the market was watching that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was softer, wasn't it? So that, you know, quite fortuitously for the Fed. So uh, the PPI, the producer price index, what, down 0.1% month-on-month, flat for the core number. Retail sales down 0.4% month-on-month in February. The, the Empire State Manufacturing Index, New York uh, Index, down uh, to 246 which is much worse than expected. So softer data, less pressure on the Fed, I suppose. Yeah, that's given them a much helpful setup. I mean, the, the PPI is probably arguably a little bit more widely watched by the by the Fed than maybe the market to some extent. But mm. um, a lot of the – some of the analysis I'm, I'm seeing sort of tearing apart the details of the PPI does point to the fact that there is starting to be a little bit of compression in margins. So, um, yeah, obviously, you know, a, a large part of the inflation story over the past years has been, you know, sort of the supply chain issues initially and then um, you know, sort of wages and, and all these other sort of things. But but business margins have been under – have seen pretty healthy growth, but uh, the PPI was starting to show a little bit of early signs that maybe that's starting to wane. So that's probably a, yeah, an, another source of comfort for the Fed, yeah, out of these numbers. And where does Australia sit in the midst of all of this? I mean, by all of this, I mean, you know, all this banking uncertainty. I mean, the Aussie dollar getting hit uh, with the, the risk sentiment overnight. But, you know, it was it was up, uh, you know, a couple of days ago. Uh, we get the employment numbers today. I mean, if we if we see a big increase there, that's going to put more pressure on the RBA. But are they going? Does that do they just act independently of what is happening in the rest of the world, or do they do they act more like the Fed, or do they look to the ECB? Where where do we sit in the world in in a you know what could be a crisis like this? I mean, it might not be a crisis. It might, of course, all be gone tomorrow. Well, I think that's sort of part of key in the way I'm thinking about it. At least that the RBA does have an extra couple of weeks to to see how things play out. And mm. obviously, the ECB's meeting tonight, sort of in the in the midst of all the excitement, the Fed's meeting next week. But then after that, you know, we've got a couple of weeks to the RBA meeting, so they've got you know, a couple of weeks to digest the the response of these other central banks, as well as the market response to it. More importantly, I mean, the key piece of data in the very short term here is retail. Uh, sorry, um, labour force today. This has sort of been long awaited after coming after a couple of softish prints for December and January, but certainly, um, yeah, we are expecting a pretty strong number today. Plus sixty gain, uh, plus sixty thousand for employment change. But the key thing there is that this is largely a reversal of some statistical um, sort of anomalies that fell out of the January number, where we had that that number 
number of about 270,000 people were waiting to start new jobs in January um, when the when the survey was done, whereas which is about 70,000 more than normal. So our expectation is most of those people will have started their job now. So we'll see a basically sort of a a rebound in the in the employment numbers, a bit of a tick down in the. Um, unemployment rate as those people are counted being back in the back in the labour force. So we're looking for the unemployment rate down 0.1 to 3.6. As I said, 60k change in employment, but relative to market, that's not a it's not a hugely sort of strong level. I think market consensus is, is at plus 50k, so around the, a little bit beyond that. So I think you know the, the barrier today for seeing a significant um, sort of print of concern for the RBA to the upside at least is is very high, just because this. This mm. um, technical factor between with with annual leave is, is widely known. In fact, the RBA mentioned that specifically in their speeches last week. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got to get back to work sometime, haven't you? So, look, today, uh, New Zealand's GDP this morning for Q4, uh, and which is expected to contract a little, I think. U.S. initial jobless claims, housing starts and building permits for the U.S. as well. We get the Philly Fed business outlook, but it's you know that's not going to be the focus today, is it? It really is going to be what happens in Europe and how does the ECB react to it all? Yeah, um, I mean, the New Zealand data is out for... First, so our colleagues at BNZ there are, are looking for a minus 0.2 for headline GDP. Um, that's a significant gap from where the um, from where the RBNZ's sort of forecasts have, have implied it. Yeah, for, for a plus 0.7, so yeah, a significant turnaround. But but I think our, our BNZ colleagues aren't necessarily sure that this sort of changes the dial too much for expectations or policy. I mean, certainly it um, it is it is certainly slowing. But you know, we've sort of Saw this coming out of all the partial releases last week that there has been a, a slowing there, which I think will be will be encouraging for the for for the RBNZ that uh, that the rate hikes there are starting to take effect because obviously they're and, and they're also sort of trying to sort of walk through now this this narrow gap of the um, of the supply and demand implications of the of the post flood rebuild as well. So yeah, I mean in terms of the other data, you're right. I suspect that through most of today and, and overnight, the focus is going to be on continued headlines out of out of the US and then the ECB move and, and any commentary they offer on the banking sort of sector situation is going to be more dominant. But um, but jobless claims, that's sort of a, 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 it's always sort of a reasonably watched indicator. But I think uh, given we've seen further headlines about uh, about layoffs and, um, and and job losses, I mean a lot of a lot of it concentrated in tech and finance obviously but the we've all been but commentators are waiting for that to come through to jobless claims it hasn't quite yet but we did see a little bit of an uptick last week so that, yeah. that could be the start but well uh, look uh, judging by the pattern today uh, today should be all right it'll be friday before we have our next banking panic but we should be clear today it's every other day it seems uh, <laughs> we'll see how it transpires <laughs> good to talk ken anyway let's watch with interest good to talk cheers thanks phil crazy times aren't they that's it for the morning call for this morning i'm phil dobby for now back again tomorrow morning see you then